And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Muddy Knees Media. The Black Friday slash pre-Christmas sales are well underway and from today until Friday the 4th of December, you can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for £1 a month for an entire calendar year. That means unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts for just £1 per month. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, we've the latest from the incredible world of European football. As Ligue 1 gets a title race, Haaland misses an open goal, and Thomas Muller lands another funny. Plus, crunch time in the Champions League, Real, Inter, Atleti and PSG. We check out the big teams that could be checking out of the competition. It's the Totally Football Show, European edition, in association with Paddy Power. And hello, listener, welcome to our Euro edition. With us, of course, we have Raphael Honigstein, but not for long, eh, Rafa? Hello, James. Hi. You've got things to do. I met this snappy James Horncastle. Hello, James. Yes, that's right. And also Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. Hello to you, Alvaro. And also Julian Laurence. Bonjour. We say we're on the clock because you know why? Goal show kicks off in, well, depending on what time you're listening to this, soon o'clock, basically. Um, so, you know, and it's kicking off with a really interesting game. Am I right in saying that Tuesday evening we're starting off with Real Madrid away in Ukraine against Shakhtar Donetsk? Is that right? Indeed. All right, then. Mm, who feels like some heartwarming, thought-provoking or even poignant moments of the weekend? Alvaro. Has to be Lionel Messi scoring a goal for Barcelona, taking off his Barcelona shirt and having... The set of Newell's old boys uh, behind uh, with the number 10 in it. Uh, basically, that was the set of, of Maradona when he played for Newell's back in 1993. Uh, that's right. the team that Lionel Messi supports. And that is uh, the best ever tribute that Lionel Messi could have ever paid for Maradona. Scoring a Maradonesque goal right. and then uh, showing his respect for the legend. Indeed, as we'll discuss later on, it was kind of spooky because Maradona only ever scored one goal for Newell's old boy and it was the mirror image of the one that Messi did this weekend. That wasn't the only Maradona tribute this weekend, though, was it, James Horncastle? No, uh, there were lots in Naples, as you may well imagine, um, starting on Thursday night before the game against uh, Rijeka with the vigil outside the Stadio San Paolo, which will be renamed the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. Lots of uh, other gestures in Naples. For example, they are going to name a metro station after him. And they played uh, on Sunday night against Roma in a blue and white striped uh, black short Argentina style outfit uh, with Insigne scoring a free kick, some beautiful goals in what was a 4-0 win, which I suppose was the best way that uh, Napoli could pay tribute uh, to Maradona, at least on the pitch. 
Julianne, what stood out from your weekend? Is PSG throwing another lead? You know, they, they lost 3-2 at Monaco the weekend before after being 2-0 up. And this weekend on Saturday at the Parc des Princes, they were 2-1 up against Bordeaux at halftime. And they considered another goal to make it 2-2. And Thomas Tuchel was not happy at all after the game, saying, usually I defend my players, but tonight I can't. That was not acceptable. Wow. All right. He wasn't the only person coming out with things after that game. Neymar suggesting that his, his teammates play more like a team. Not sure how that one <laughs> went down. Coming from him. Of all people. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that later on in the extraordinary situation at the top of Ligue 1 where there are five teams separated by just two points. But Rafa, what stood out from your weekend? That's a very personal question, James, but I'll tell you what I really enjoyed um, football-wise. <laughs> football-wise, what I did enjoy was Max Cruiser scoring one of the goals of the season between Union uh, and Frankfurt to make it 3-3. Max Cruz, one of the players of the season, really, in the Bundesliga, transforming the, the fortunes of, of Union. But also, two identical goals that Dortmund conceded from corners to go down 2-1 at home to Cologne, which was a huge surprise. Mm, their first win, if I'm not mistaken, against Dortmund in 29 years. Remarkable. Well, plenty to discuss. Listener, let's begin, though, with match day five fast approaching with Tuesday's Champions League fixtures. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds one to five per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. Champions League match day five. A lot is sorted in the Champions League, but Group B isn't. Kornienko pass, nebezpečno, udar! That's what happened last time. Real Madrid faced Shakhtar Donetsk. It was the upset of the season, potentially. A 3-2 victory for the side from Ukraine away in Madrid, despite the fact that Shakhtar were missing, I think, about seven first-teamers. Well, Tuesday, this Tuesday, it's back to Shakhtar's for another go. Real Madrid are now second in the group, three points ahead of Donetsk, but still in a worrying run of form as they come into this game. Alvaro. Yes, the good thing for Real Madrid is that thanks to the victory against Inter last week, uh, they can look at the future in Champions League with a bit, little bit more of uh, optimism. I do believe that uh, there is no certainty with Real Madrid at this stage. The game against Shakhtar, you might believe that Real Madrid is still the favourite to win it, but the thing is that uh, they are, Real Madrid are not reliable. They lost this weekend against Alaves. Um, and uh, the thing with Real Madrid is that it's either they operate and function, uh, function sorry, under pressure or um, they only work well when they have a short assignment in front of them, like winning the league in six weeks, which they did very well in summer. But mm. now they are a little bit... Uh, they have a little bit of dispersion. Um, you can really tell that the, la the absence of Ramos is not helping them. But on the other hand, then you, you see the game against Inter. And even not having Ramos in the Real Madrid looks solid. So it's very difficult to read into, into this team or uh, trying to understand what uh, Zinedine Zidane or the players are, are trying to do. But all this said, I do believe that uh, Real Madrid is, seems to be well equipped to negotiate with short 
term assignments, and this mm -hmm. is one of them, beating Shakhtar Donetsk puts Real Madrid very close to the last 16 round of the Champions League, and I do believe they are going to win the game despite not having Ramos, Carvajal, and Fede Valverde, because Shakhtar, at the end of the day, they are probably one of the worst defences in the Champions League. Crikey. Still good enough to beat Real Madrid last time around. To add to that list of absentees for Real Madrid in Tuesday evening's game, Eden Hazard, who just got injured again after only just coming back uh, from his last... Uh, the eighth time absentee. he's been injured since he's yeah. been at Real Madrid. Eight times. Let me tell you something else. I mean, he has never played more than four games in a row for Real Madrid. Um, which is uh, which is really uh, concerning for Madrid. This is another injury. This one is a soft tissue one, and uh, yeah, he's going to be out for two weeks, and he is set to miss uh, key games for Real Madrid. Not only this, this one against Shakhtar, but also the game against Sevilla, uh, the game against Borussia Mönchengladbach next week, and probably uh, the game against Atletico in early December too. Wow. Well, if Real Madrid were to come a cropper, and remember, we didn't expect them to last time against Shakhtar, then Shakhtar will pull level with them and ahead, in fact, on their head-to-head -head record. So Real Madrid could suddenly be, be staring down the barrel of Thursday night football. Uh, the good news for them is that Shakhtar, after those opening uh, pair of results, the draw with Inter and the, the win in Madrid, have had some absolutely rotten form in the Champions League. Indeed, uh, their last two games have both been against Borussia Mönchengladbach and they've lost them on an aggregate 10 nil. Crikey. In fact, since they went 3-0 up in Madrid way back on match day one, they've conceded 12 goals without reply in the Champions League. Whoa, incredible. All right, so you're quietly confident. What about the other game in that group? Huh. James Horncastle, Inter. They need to win both of their remaining group games and then pray. The bad news is here, they are up against a Borussia Mönchengladbach team that's in exceptional form. Well, the last couple of years, Inter have gone into, what, the final match day with their destiny in their own hands and they still haven't been able to qualify. And now that their destiny isn't in their own hands, I think it's going to be very difficult. They're winless in this competition, even though their underlying numbers, particularly in the first three games, were very good, um, still are very good compared with the other teams in this group. But the reality is they've only got two points on the board and... They played very well against Sassuolo on Saturday, uh, unexpectedly so, after how poor they were uh, against Real Madrid at San Siro. I remember, as Alvaro was saying, a Madrid side that will, without the likes of uh, Ramos, Valverde, Benzema as well. So you don't really know what to expect uh, from Inter in the Champions League this season. I would say that what was interesting about Saturday's 3-0 win away at Sassuolo, high-flying Sassuolo, who had spent a few hours at the top of the table uh, in the previous weekend and were unbeaten, um, is that um, he's kind of gone back to what they were doing last season, which was like, I'm not going to play around with having a number 10 anymore in midfield. I'm going to play uh, with someone in front of the defence. It wasn't Brozovic because Brozovic has COVID-19, so it was Nicola Barella. And they looked far more disciplined uh, they looked like they were able to to press uh, better than they had been. And I think that's kind of encouraging going into this game. But as I said, Conte's record in this competition is so patchy. Inter are so kind of highly strong in this competition. It's very difficult to imagine getting a consistent performance from them. So I think they're really up against it, James. Really mm. up against it. Romelu Lukaku rested in the game against Sassuolo for this clash here with uh, Alexis Sanchez opening up the scoring and combining well with Lautaro Martinez. No room, as per usual, for Ericsson. Is he heading to <laughs> Arsenal, James Horncastle? 
Well, they have been very open the last couple of weeks um, to him leaving the club. They said that they won't stand in the way if he um, puts in a transfer request. Ericsson, in the what the international breaks in September and October, has complained. He said he doesn't want to be on the bench for the entire duration of autumn. It's quite hard to gauge um, who is interested and who's made contact for for, for Ericsson, given that his agent uh, is so difficult to contact. I think that's uh, something that came up on uh, the All or Nothing uh, Spurs documentary um, about uh, sort of progressing contract extension talks with him or progressing a move away. Um, and remember, Ericsson tried to leave Spurs for a number of years and wasn't able to to get out um, you know he wanted to go to Real Madrid he ends up at Inter and then can't get off the bench for Inter against Real Madrid so I think it would be slightly bizarre for him to, to go I know there was there was interest from a couple of Bundesliga clubs at the end of the last transfer window to take him on loan um, but the reality is is that as with Nainggolan as with Ivan Perisic um, at the end of the transfer window Inter don't want to send players out on loan they want money or they, they at least want guaranteed money at the end of a loan period so I think that would be pretty much key in their evaluation of any offer that was to come in for him I see alright what about this game then on Tuesday Rafa what can we expect from this remarkable Borussia Mönchengladbach side well more of the same really James I think um, they played against Schalke at the weekend and it wasn't one of their best games but they still managed to win 4-1 quite easily now that reflects of course on on Schalke who have been abysmal but I think also on on their own development I mean they now managed to to find ways of scoring find ways of winning even when they're not quite at their best and in the Champions League we've seen actually their best performances in the season Bundesliga have been slightly more inconsistent so I think it's going to be really really difficult for for Inter um, a draw might be might be enough for for Borussia, depending on what happens elsewhere. But it's, I think, a, a difficult proposition. Uh, one thing that Gladbach excel at is to play on the break. So the more Inter will come at them, looking for for what is a must win for them, I think the more Gladbach will actually enjoy the occasion and 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 make use of. James alluded to, which is that weird sense of nervousness that seems to be creeping in whenever they play in the Champions League, which is really difficult to explain. Mm. Schalke now 25 games in the league without a win. They are six off the Bundesliga record. Is that right, Rafa? Yeah, 31, yeah, from Tasmania Berlin. Why are Tasmania Berlin known as Tasmania Berlin? It's not a straightforward explanation, but one suggestion is that the founders in 1900 met a sailor from Australia who was talking about... Tasmania. uh, Tasmania and the Tasmanian devil in particular ah, and that was right. part of the um, early badge but uh, this is not an official version this is just strictly speaking ap- apocryphal yes so um, could be an explanation another explanation is possible that the uh, zoo in Berlin had Tasmanian devils at the time right and uh, they themselves after that okay Raf, can I ask you a quick question about uh, Schalke do you think they could Hamburg it and go go down I think there is a possibility this could happen. Um, Schalke have all the issues off the pitch that that have bedeviled Hamburg uh, over the last few years before they actually went down. It's uh, it's a club in disarray, also a club at at war with itself because some of the people on the board want to change the structure of the club, making 
uh, it opened to uh, outside investment going away from the strict membership ownership to a, a more mixed form of ownership like you have at uh, places like Bind, for example, where some of it is, is owned by companies, some of the majority is still owned by the fans. And there's, there's been so many mistakes over the last, uh, well, decade or so that maybe this is the year where they have to pay for all, for all the mistakes. I think that they were still hoping that Bielefeld and Köln would be worse but Köln are showing signs of life. So, yeah, it, it could happen, which would be quite sad. Well, that'd be good news for whoever's coming up in their place, of course. Uh, compounding Inter's problems at the moment is the fact that their rivals, Milan, are, are top of the table in City Air, James. Just a very quick word on them. It's the first time in nine years that the two Milanese sides have occupied the top two spots in City Air. Milan there... Uh, after a 2-0 win over Fiorentina at the weekend that came without Zlatan, without their manager Pioli on, on the bench. But they've never had a better start to a season in the three points era, unbeaten in the league since March. Yeah, 23 games unbeaten. And they've played all the top sides um, in that period as well. You know, People keep saying, um, well, we need to wait and see how... Uh, Milan do against Napoli and Naples. Well, they went away to Napoli and Naples and beat them convincingly. Um, you know, we've had that tired um, sort of analysis of, well, what are they going to do without Zlatan? They're so dependent on Zlatan without people realising that they played seven games without Zlatan in that period and they haven't lost any of them. They found ways to win. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they are very solid at the back. I think Simon Kier, you know, people talk about the experience that uh, Zlatan has brought and younger players growing around him. Well, I think that's true of Kier um, at the back in particular. Salamakas was brilliant in this game. And uh, when Donnarumma had to make saves, because Fiorentina didn't really create much, but they did create two really good chances, one for Vlajevic and one for Ribéry. The save on Ribery is was very special, I thought. It's, it's incredible. I mean, from uh, close range, acute angle, Vlajevic hits it, hits it really fierce and he manages to push it onto the post. I think that's one of the things that has been said and is justified about Milan is that Donnarumma at times this year has kept the scoreline in a position where they can win it because I think most other goalkeepers um, would not have been able to keep out some of the chances that he's had to face. Um, and, you know, his contract is is up for renegotiation. I think the club are actually quite sanguine about their ability to get him to um, commit again, even though his agent's Mina Ryla, because Donnarumma is a Milan fan and wants to stay at the club. And I think that's that's actually really positive. So... I think there are all the signs there that Milan are legit. Um, it's not just nine games. As you say, it goes back to March. Um, people will say it's freaky circumstances. You know, it's a weird environment in which they're playing in. But you know, other clubs are playing in this environment and not getting the results that Milan are. And I think you have to take your hat off to them really kind of being able to keep this run going through with all the disruption of Pioli, for example, <laughs> there was a great image, a uh, great video that was put out on Milan social media at the end of the game where um, uh, Daniele Bonero, who's not even the number two, he's like the number four in the coaching staff, has got his phone and is, is basically showing Stefano Pioli on FaceTime so he can have a chat with Donnarumma, uh, Kessier and, uh, and Tonali as well. So, yeah, uh, really positive to see... Um, yeah, a bit of variation at the top of the league, which we haven't had in a long time. Indeed so. Uh, Champions League Tuesday also involves Atletico Bayern. Ooh, that sounds huge. 4-0, of course, last time they met. That was back in Munich. Rafa Bayern, though, were guaranteed top spot 
with two games to go. So nothing for them to play for here. Plus, this weekend, they've got the big clash with the team that's just behind them in the Bundesliga now, RB Leipzig. How much are they going to be giving to this game here? Well, I think the Leipzig game looms, looms quite large, James. Uh, as you said, they have won the uh, the, the group in, in the Champions League regardless of the results. So um, Hansi Flick has used the opportunity to leave Manuel Neuer, um, Robert Lewandowski and Leon Goretzka at home. So it will not be a full-strength side, which I think is probably a risk they feel they have to take at this point. Bayern looked very jaded against Stuttgart. Uh, they really weren't at their best. Uh, players looking very, very tired. And especially in midfield, where uh, the absence of um, Joshua Kimmich has meant that Leon Goretzka has basically played every single game. I think it's a good opportunity to leave to leave him out for this one. I mean, for Atletico, it's, it's perfect because... They have a point to prove after that 4-0 defeat. They can, um, you know, make sure that they qualify. They can also break Bayern's run of uh, 15 Champions League games on the trot. And it kind of feels like a game where Bayern feel, okay, of course we're going to try our best, but it's not the most important game that we've got coming up in the next few weeks. Thomas Muller didn't seem jaded after the game against Stuttgart, the 3-1 victory they had there. Uh, when he spoke to Archie Rintut. How do the British people say, uh, you, you have to show it in a windy night in Stoke? Something like that. It was not windy and uh, Stuttgart is not Stoke, but uh, I think uh, I think Stuttgart is, is a team that uh, plays very well uh, during the last... Yeah, classic so uh, Millerism is um, referring to Stuttgart uh, or, or the, um, the challenge of playing Stuttgart to the famous Tuesday uh, wet and windy night at Stoke. Mm. I'm not sure the parallels really hold up. I mean, I haven't been to Stoke, but Stuttgart is actually a fairly beautiful city. But he was so happy with the parallel that he was he was trying to bring it in for at least 30 seconds before Archie actually led him. It was there ready, and then he unleashed it. When, right, when, when, right. when Muller's got one of his, his gems to, to bestow on the world, there's no yeah. stopping him. I was quite impressed by how Stuttgart played in this game. Um, this is where Sven Mislintat has rocked up now. He seems to have recruited quite a young, fast, pacey team. Yeah, it's a really interesting team. Um, lots of young players, lots of names that no one's ever heard of, uh, including me, uh, before this uh, start <laughs> of the season. Because I haven't watched much of Bundesliga 2. But yeah, they've they've held their own. Uh, they created problems for Bayern. They're in a position where it doesn't look as if they'd be in any relegation fight whatsoever. And already in Swabia, people are talking about maybe European challenge in, in years to come. It's a real comeback for, for a club that, um, you know, had, had kind of lost its way a little bit. Uh, but now under um, Mislintat and the CEO, Thomas Hitzesberger and uh, uh, Peregrino Matarazzo, the guy with the coolest name in, in world football, <laughs> on the bench... <laughs> It seems it seems to be working again, and it's a real, I think, boon for the league that you have a strong, strong Stuttgart side, and they play good football, unlike the uh, English team that he referenced, uh, Thomas Müller. <laughs> the thing is, uh, James, if, if I may, I mean, in in Germany, uh, I think that every every team has a certain ambition, and uh, they know how to punish you as soon as you as you lose the ball, and that was proven, for example, as well in on Friday's game between Wolfsburg and Bremen. And I found very interesting what Mark Roca, uh, 
now he plays for Bayern, I was saying uh, to the Spanish press this week, he said that in Germany, if you give a wrong pass, basically the other, the other team, the opponent, is creating a goal chance straight away. And uh, I think that that's a very good definition of Bundesliga. Yeah, that's something that uh, Pep Guardiola always used to talk about, that uh, yeah. Bundesliga is the counter-attacking league, that you cannot, cannot lose the ball. And he had sleepless nights thinking about uh, counter-attacks, uh, hurting his Bayern team. Uh, just returning then to Atletico and their clash with Bayern. Atletico, after those draws with Lokomotiv Moscow, Alvaro, by no means certain of making it to the last 16. Uh, they, they are flying in La Liga. What are they? One point off the top with two games in hand. But this is a risky game if they were to slip up against Bayern. And if Lokomotiv, above all, were to beat Salzburg at home, which seems eminently possible even though they are a Russian side and no Russian side has won in either the Champions League or the Europa League so far this season, well, Atletico could be in real problems. It's a very tricky one. And, uh, you know, to start with, the game against Bayern is going to be so difficult because uh, in the reverse fixture, uh, Bayern uh, cruised through the game easily, beating Atletico 4-0. I hope that Atletico learned from that game uh, because I think that uh, they lost too many balls in midfield and Bayern did exactly what Mark Roca was saying. Um, and yeah, they, they beat Atletico easily. And I know that, uh, as uh, Rafael said, uh, Neuer, Goretzka, Lewandowski won't be there. But still, Atletico has their own uh, problems up front because uh, Luis Suarez uh, is not available yet for the game, apparently. And Diego Costa either for something that could be um, a consequence of having suffered the COVID-19 uh, because Diego Costa is having some inflammations and uh, thrombosis, apparently, um, in his body. So he's not ready to play, uh, which is probably one of the first cases like that associated to a footballer that uh, I have heard of. And uh, the game is going to be difficult for Atletico de Madrid. Also, you know, what is the mindset for that game and what is the, the game plan? Are you going um, to attack, full attack uh, to beat Bayern? I don't think so. At the same time, you know that uh, whatever happened in the Locomotive Salzburg game is going to be relevant as well for um, the resolution of this group. So... Even if Atletico ends up getting a point or three points against Bayern, the next game against uh, Salzburg is going to be quite complicated because Salzburg, uh, they are a team that when they go forward, they are capable of uh, uh, causing a lot of damage to you. Therefore, I think that the main problem of Atletico in Madrid is that they didn't do the homework, at least in one of the games against Lokomotiv, and now they will suffer, yeah? All right, well, we shall see. It's not beyond uh, them turning this around, uh, but... The Tuesday night looks absolutely crucial. Also on Tuesday night, Group C, which offers us uh, Porto against Man City. Both look pretty sure of going through. Man City are definitely qualified. Porto are 9.6 clear of Olympiacos. And also, that same evening, Olympiacos visiting Olympic Marseille. Jules, could this be the day that Marseille score a goal or get a point or any of those exciting things that teams do? I think if it's not if it's not on Tuesday, I don't know when it will be because then they travel to Man City in the last game. Although, as you said, City will already be qualified. So Marseille might still have a chance to get something out of that game. But surely this one at the Velodrome against Olympiacos, who, as we said last week, have a lot of players missing themselves. No this Valbuena. has to be the moment where the curse finally ends. Surely they, they were really good Marseille uh, in, in Ligue 1 on Saturday afternoon against Nantes. They won 3-1. Payet played well. Michael Cuisance played well, Florian Tovin played well and scored as well. So there's certainly a bit more optimism, I guess, and a dynamic going into this game. But but the pressure will come back. And and as we've seen before in the Champions League, they, they don't really do well with the pressure. No. No Valbuena for Olympiacos. 
which uh, could be important. But as you say, yeah. Porky Pie back in the side because there was this suggestion that maybe Olympic Marseille were, were better off without him. But AVB's changed his mind about that, has he? Well, there, there certainly was a time in the season where they were better without him. Uh, although, like I said, he played really well um, on Saturday and scored a good goal and, and looked a bit sharper, although still overweight. But uh, again, he's not going to lose weight in the space of a few days. So this is a longer longer term project. But but what we've been saying for sure is that he's technically their best player. So if they want to do well... They, it would have to play and it would have to play well, not being a burden like he'd been at times in the Champions League. So let's hope that maybe he turned a corner with that win against Nantes on Saturday, that that goal will give him a lot of confidence. Uh, and and he changed his haircut as well that you will see tomorrow. He's got a brand new haircut too. So maybe as well that help. But let's hope for them. Mm. What is it? 13 games without any points or goals in the Champions League. Is that right? That, so no, they've scored in those 13 games, but they, they've lost them all. Uh, but they, they haven't scored in this campaign this season. Okay. They scored in the previous two, still losing, but yeah. They're doing pretty well anyway in, in Ligue 1. They're currently only four points behind Paris Saint-Germain, but they have two games in hand, Marseille. We'll talk more about Ligue 1 and what appears to be a French title race uh, very shortly. But before that, to round off Tuesday's games, a word on Group D... Uh, which does look tight. Top three teams, Liverpool, Ajax and Atalanta, separated by just two points. Uh, Ajax away at Anfield this Tuesday, perhaps at a disadvantage because they've already played Michelin twice. Atalanta are going to be taking on the Danes this time around. What do you think then of Ajax's prospects of becoming the latest kind of attacking team to go to uh, Anfield and, and give Liverpool problems? I think that Ajax was very good against Liverpool in the reverse fixture and only a goal from Tagliafico uh, made the difference for own goal from Tagliafico made the difference for for the Reds and also uh, Jurgen Klopp has been complaining a lot about how tired his squad uh, has been after um, this very congested calendars plus the TV uh, selections as well the game selections so I do believe that Ajax may have a chance yeah definitely I would say that yes and they, they are a team who have many players that uh, they can uh, bring in that quality that uh, Liverpool may find quite baffling and difficult to deal with, considering that they've got so many casualties in the defensive department. Right. And um, um, worryingly, for Klopp, this game's going to be on BT Sport, which means there's increased risk of people getting injured, as, as I understand it. Uh, they have got, I think, 10 players out already. Uh, this I is... wonder who's going to do the interview. <laughs> well, indeed. It, indeed, Rafa. That's a good question. Des Kelly, of course, and Jürgen exchanging their views after the draw with Brighton at the weekend. Remarkably, this is only Ajax's second visit ever to Anfield. The first coming back in 1966 when they were still called Ajax. Uh, it was in the second round of the European Cup and it was a, finished a 2-2 draw after Ajax had won the first leg 5-1. That ball, this has been one of Liverpool's failings tonight, putting the ball too square and too often back. This time it's given a break to... Ajax, and that's it, Ajax are one up, and the scorer, Krauf, the centre forward, the idol of Amsterdam, the 19-year-old Ajax boy. sailing through there, and, and how about that Krauf, what a player he was. Now, prospects this time, Liverpool just one win in four, Brighton, open attacking team, caused some problems. 
Atalanta open attacking team caused Liverpool problems. What are Ajax going to do? What are your predictions, guys? Well, I mean, Liverpool really really struggled. Um, we saw that against Brighton. We saw that against uh, Atalanta. They haven't got quite the uh, the same control at the back. They haven't quite uh, got the rhythm in midfield where there's been a lot of um, changes uh, and enforced um, substitutions recently. So you know, there's a bit of fatigue. There's a bit of staleness. Um, I think... I think that Ajax do leave you plenty of opportunities. Um, we saw the game against Michelin, where Michelin, who were probably the worst or one of the worst sides in the Champions League, created a lot of chances. So if Ajax play that game, I think Liverpool would be quite happy to to hit them on the break, even though the game is at Anfield. So I I still think Liverpool will be too strong, but it it could be uncomfortable if if um, Ajax exploit the defensive issues that certainly are um, apparent at the moment. A draw would would be a good result for Liverpool. If they lose and Atalanta beat Michelin, which most people would expect them to do, Liverpool will be in third place going into the final match day. So, yes. Yeah. But I think that the win does for Liverpool, no matter what. One more win. OK. And they have to beat only Michelin. So, you know, they are not in such... Uh, a difficult situation because they have to be the weakest team of the group. That's everything they need to do. That's a fair point, Alvaro. With that in mind, then, let's move on from Group D and uh, on to Wednesday very shortly. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begambleaware.org. You're listening to The Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Alvaro, you were mentioning the lovely tribute by Leo Messi after the fourth goal in Barcelona's 4-0 win over Osasuna at the weekend. One of the many tributes to Diego Maradona that we saw across the world of sport this weekend from the All Blacks to Rubens Barrichello to Mike Tyson even. Intriguingly, let Messi anyway take you off as you mentioned his Barca jersey to reveal the Newell's Old Boys number 10 shirt. The weird thing was that his goal was a mirror image of the only goal that Diego had ever scored. Do you think that was intentional by Leo Messi? It was just like a homage. <laughs> That's that would be very, very coincidental. I think that Lionel Messi has scored goals like this uh, many times, so I think that. Basically, the style of both resembles so much to each other that that goal has happened in Messi's career many times. So mm. I don't think that Messi wanted to pay such a perfect tribute. He definitely wanted to score because he had uh, another shirt underneath. And, uh, and yeah, I think that uh, that was a great tribute anyway because uh, Barcelona, uh, you know, I don't think that they, they have done enough to... To have, Bar- to have Maradona as part of their heritage. Uh, Napoli's heritage is Maradona. Uh, Argentina's obviously too. But Maradona played for Barcelona for a couple of years. And that is something that sometimes goes a little bit unnoticed or overlooked. And uh, he, he did very well for them. I mean, he had an injury. He had a hepatitis, I believe, when he played for Barcelona. Maybe that's why he didn't win any title there. But he was magical uh, at his time playing for Barcelona. I think that 
the tribute that the club uh, paid to Maradona before the game was a bit poor, uh, partly because the stands were empty, partly because there is an interim board and perhaps um, they didn't uh, organize anything more flashy, you mm. know. But then Lionel Messi played, uh, paid the, the best possible tribute to, to Maradona. And uh, it's funny because uh, Lionel Messi, you know, is, we know that he's a very introspective guy. Mm, he's a, a man of few words and however... Three or four or four of the most iconic ever pictures of Barcelona are associated to Lionel Messi and they are uh, made and fabricated by Lionel Messi. One of them being him, uh, you know, at the top of uh, um, a fence just celebrating with, with the fans after beating PSG 6-1. Then there is another picture of Messi uh, after scoring at Santiago Bernabeu, taking off his shirt and showing it to the whole Santiago Bernabeu in 2017 as well. And this one with, uh, with the Maradona shirt. So, you know, uh, he, he's got this capacity to, to, to be very special on the pitch, also creating iconography and images that go straight into Barcelona's uh, Santa Santorum. And this is very remarkable from such a little shy man. Um. If the fourth goal wasn't a direct tribute to one of the classics from Maradona, it did look like he was considering doing a Hand of God tribute on the opening goal from Barcelona, Martin Brathwaite, and the ball's above Messi, and he puts his fist up, and you can see him looking at the ball, and I genuinely believe he was thinking, shall I? Shall I make this homage? The the thing, James, is that Messi has scored that goal already for Barcelona before the VAR time, around 12 years ago. I think that in a Barcelona derby against Espanyol, he scored mm. a, a goal with his hand. So, yeah, he's done it. So I'm sure that he had that impulse to do it again. But, of course, the ball, fortunately for Martin Braithwaite, went in without Messi's help. But, yeah, the resemblances are there. And there are so many analogies you can do between Messi and Maradona because they've been so similar uh, in the style and uh, also the decisions they have made on the pitch. Mm. Uh, also in that game, an absolute rocket from Antoine Griezmann who also set up uh, Coutinho for his goal. Less heartwarming for Barca fans was another big injury uh, with uh, Clément Longley now out of the picture, which means how many central defenders have Barcelona got now? Mm, I think that's true. Uh, Araujo, uh, who is uh, just back, and then Bingueza, a player from uh, the B team, uh, who has been all right. Fortunately for him, Barcelona had easy fixtures lately, so he could, you know, uh, start his career as a Barcelona player with uh, two clean sheets. Mm. Okay. Uh, not sure if you were across the Maltese football situation this weekend. Rafa James, the Mars FC were playing St Andrews. Tunnel up, Mars FC were awarded a penalty on 62 minutes. Their uh, striker stepped up to take. The spot kick strikes it. The keeper dives and at that very moment, a national power cut happened. The entire stadium was plunged into darkness. Nobody knows what happened except, I guess, the goalkeeper. Remarkable. Footage is out there. I advise you to seek it because it's it's just an extraordinary clip. It's lights out. It was lights out. The game will be. The game was suspended afterwards because the power cut which uh, apparently these happen from time to time in Malta when uh, a, a ship's anchor pulls the wires up between Malta and Sicily. It really is that simple. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they had a power cut for an hour and uh, the, the, they're, they're going to restart the game from the 62nd minute. But I, I don't know how you can recreate that moment with the ball in motion between the spot and the goal. Uh, anyway, it happened this weekend in Malta. Here's a quick question. David Easton asks, could you ask the Europod how the smaller clubs... 
around Europe have taken to using the five subs. Are the likes of Benevento up in arms? Are Dijon livid? Or is it just in the Premier League? Well, this is a, a subject we were addressing in, in uh, Monday morning's Totally Football show. What's the answer, guys? Has it gone down better with the smaller sides around Europe? Jules? There, there was not much of a debate. I think even smaller side were, were happy to to um, to keep it for this season. Uh, they're certainly all using it. Even the smaller squad who don't maybe have the depth of a PSG or a Lyon, Lyon squad, for example. So, yeah, I don't think there was any debate. Certainly no one is complaining now amongst the small teams that it's an unfair advantage to the bigger side. Mm. Well, in Italy, James, there hasn't been the same outcry. Uh, in fact, the five substitutes rule has informed transfer strategy for a lot of the clubs, particularly those that have come up. Um, you know, they've taken a lot of players on loan from some of the top sides um, to give you know some Italy under twenty one internationals more regular game time than they would get at the likes of Inter, Juventus, and Milan. You look at. The case of Spezia, for example, who I think have used already more than 30 uh, different players. And uh, I think one of the reasons why they're more accepting uh, of of this rule, uh, unlike Chris Wilder, is because uh, in some respects Italy has been impacted more by COVID-19, or at least teams have. You know, we've seen more cases um, per club there than, than, than in the Premier League. Um, and in conjunction with the injuries that they've had to deal with as well, uh, it's been it's been a welcome option uh, for them to have those those two extra subs. Same sort of picture in Germany and Spain. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, in Spain, very few actually contested this idea. And uh, the fact that in July um, or at the beginning of August, uh, a team that was about to promote to the top flight, Fuenlabrada, had an outbreak. I think that made um, every club to to reflect a little bit more carefully about all this. And uh, yeah, there's five substitutions uh, have proven to be a very good idea in Spanish football too. In the third division, the clubs have actually decided against that rule. Um, I think they didn't want to have too many players because they can't afford them. So I think they're happier to play some of the amateurs. But Bundesliga 1 and 2, which made the decision together, there was a strong majority um, on on doing that, so I think because it's thirty six clubs rather than twenty deciding in the Premier League, you didn't have that divide between the top and the bottom because there might be top and bottom in League One, but then there are also clubs who want to win League Two, and uh, there just wasn't that sense that you know maybe we can get an edge here as some of the smaller clubs by getting the bigger ones not to have those substitutions, that, that sort of line of thinking never arose. Mm. Plus, they don't have BT Sport in, in, in Germany, which is a key part of the whole issue. Now, every single game is live, so... Mm. Rafa, one other bit before we get on to Wednesday's fixtures of German football news, if I may, and that is? That is the German FA deciding to back Joachim Löw um, without... Uh, how do they say it? Uneingeschränkt. It almost translates as unlimited backing or backing without conditions. Okay, but without that, they're giving him unconditional backing or they're giving him yes. conditional backing. Crikey. Unconditional backing, yeah. Mm. Which, yeah, comes not as a huge surprise. I think it was on the cards that uh, they were not going to fire him. Mm. But still interesting to see what that means going forward. Is that backing unconditional until he messes up the Euros? Right. 
or does it go beyond that and uh, they want to hold on to him until the World Cup? So it's yeah, it's going to be very interesting what the next uh, few days and months will bring. Mm, indeed so. All right, well, next up, uh, back to the rather more short-term future with Wednesday night's games in the Champions League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Two fixtures leaping out from Wednesday's set of games. One is Man United's clash with Paris Saint-Germain. And the other, I put it to you, is the Borussia Dortmund hosting Lazio. Let's begin, though, with that PSG game away at Old Trafford. First of all, Jules, what on earth's going on at the top of Ligue 1, Paris Saint-Germain are 25 points, then Lyon, Montpellier, Lille and Monaco, all just two points behind. And Marseille, as previously mentioned, another two points behind, but with two games in hand on everybody else. What's going on? And are any of those teams going to make it an actual title race this time? Yeah, I think all of them all of them can. You've got a team like, uh, like Lyon, obviously, who doesn't play in Europe, Monaco either, which I think is a shoot advantage. In a season like this one, where you just play one game per week, your players can rest a bit more. Suddenly, you've got maybe less injuries at some point in the season than the others. Uh, and and I think for PSG and Lille, who played in midweek every week, and well, certainly for Lille, who are in big position to qualify, and maybe PSG as well, it's not so much of an advantage. So I think it's quite open. PSG have lost three games already. Uh, Saturday was the first draw of the season against Bordeaux, but... Others have lost less. Lille have lost just one. Lyon have lost just one. Marseille have just lost one, as you said, with two games in hand. So it's really good. It's, it's really open. It's just that PSG have dropped some points that they usually don't drop, which has made this this title race so far be more open. Mm. Monaco in that group with their fourth uh, Ligue 1 victory in a row this weekend, 3-0 over Nîmes. The, the other end of the table, though, their neighbours Nice just had their fifth defeat in a row, this time to Dijon, and some question marks over the future of Patrick Vieira. Yeah, I think it's tense for him already. Same time last year, in November 2019, they were they also lost four in a row. They 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 stopped the, the bad run and, and, and things improved a little bit. But this year, he has a much better team, a much better squad, and yet you still don't see anything or don't see enough in what they produce, in the performances. They're already out of the, of the Europa League or unless a miracle happens, but they were absolutely battered by Bayer Leverkusen. For example, it's a tough group, but still, they were not good enough. In the league, as you said, it's not good enough either. They, they're still 11th, but really, really struggling. So if I was Patrick Vieira, I'd be quite worried because although the club don't usually sack the managers early, you clearly cannot see the improvement or the progression from that team since he took over three years ago even. Mm. And, and I just think that right now is... Not sure how useful it is to keep him in his job. Right. New English owners at Nice. Ruthless, perhaps. We should see. But anyway, let's get back to Paris Saint-Germain, who have another league to try and top, and that is the Group H table. 
they are currently lying second in that. Man United are top with nine points. Then you've got Paris Saint-Germain and RB Leipzig on six and Basak Shahir on three. So RB Leipzig are going to be visiting Basak Shahir on Wednesday. Paris Saint-Germain go to Manchester. First question, Cavani, who had such a spectacular second half against Southampton, but later on on Sunday, word that he might be facing investigation for sharing a social media post from a supporter with a potentially racist term. Is that going to impact on Man United's ability to field him, their desire to field him? Do you think he would be in Oli's starting lineup anyway? Um, I think because Martial is ill, and I, I don't know if he will be fit enough to, to play in the game, uh, Martial, and even if he's if he's recovered a little bit from his illness, who, by the way, is nothing to do with, with COVID-19, I just don't think he would be ready enough to, to play. And if you're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and you've had Cavani on fire like he was in that second half against Southampton, I think he would be crazy not to start him against his former club as well, where you know that Cavani would be so pumped for, you know, showing them what they, what they miss or whatever way you want to put it. So I think he will start. Will he start... With, with Rashford up front, for example, and let's say Bruno, Bruno Fernandes as a number 10 behind and then three midfield in a in a 4-4-2 diamond formation, maybe, or he can start on his own and then you've got Rashford on one side and and someone else on the other side. I don't know what they will pick in terms of formation and tactics, but I would expect certainly Cavani to be there and to really want to, to do well against his former club and against Leonardo and Thomas Tuchel and, and all of that. He will play against defenders that he knows so well well, okay, they know him too, but you know he knows them so well. He knows Keylor Navas as well, very well. So I think it would be a huge advantage for United to to play with him. For PSG, this is you just don't know. You just don't know. They they're tired for sure. That's why I think they struggle in second halves overall. Away at Leipzig, at Monaco against Bordeaux, um, they they have players who are just coming back from injury like Marco Verratti, who is great when he plays, but he cannot play ninety minutes right now. Uh, but Neymar is also right they don't play enough as a team Thomas Tuchel said the same thing the team spirit is not there we've been saying it all season really and Kylian Mbappé is a bit is a bit struggling at the moment to score to be efficient even if he scored two against Monaco you saw again on Saturday against Bordeaux that it's just not there his game is just not there yet but they've got I think they've got that they are positives going into this game against United I don't think United are completely unbeatable at all but it would be it would, PSG would have to really play for, for pretty much the whole 90 minutes, really at top, top level if they want to win that one. Mm. Who's, who's most at risk of not going through from this group? Is it actually Leipzig, Rafa? Um, I mean, they're all at risk still. <laughs> I don't know if, if anyone's more at risk than the other. I mean, Leipzig have now Bashakshi here, you know, a game that is not just must win, but also can win. I mean, they are they are the uh, the poorest side in, in, this, uh, in this group. Um, nevertheless, um, a team that caused problems, as Man United themselves have found in Istanbul. So, with a, with a win there, they put themselves in a, in a decent position. Uh, again, depending on what what happens at, uh, between Paris and uh, and Man United, but Leipzig go into this with a little bit of a lack of momentum. I would say yes, they beat Bielefeld two one, but uh, Alexander Solot missed a penalty. They gifted a penalty to him because they wanted him to get off the mark finally. Um, and it didn't happen for him. He missed, or the goalkeeper saved. And, of course, they lost against uh, PSG the week before. So there is 
perhaps not quite the same sort of confidence that we saw um, when they took on PSG first time around. But I guess the Bashak Shahir game and then Bayern next in the league will really shape how the season will look, at least the first half of the season will look. So it's now time for them to to step up and certainly for Nagelsmann, I think, to to find solutions in midfield because up front, they're really struggling for goals a little bit at the moment, which has been a been one of the the topics or the the, the ongoing sagas of this of this campaign. James, only one quick thing, if you don't mind. Uh, I think that Manchester United is in an enviable position because uh, they beat uh, Leipzig five 0 uh, at home, and uh, well, it's worth uh, remarking that in the case of a draw on points, uh, the head-to-head is what matters in the Champions League. So. They can do with a draw win against Leipzig, no matter what. With a draw right. against Leipzig, they are through. One point is all they need from these final yeah. two games. RB Leipzig have Basaksha here, then Bayern Munich, and then they have a visit from Man United and next uh, Tuesday. All right, then. Uh, Jules, how confident are you that PSG can end this rotten run of games against Man United? No, half, not, not half and half, really. Right. Yeah, not not super confident, but I do think that PSG, if they really want to have enough to go there and win, it's just that it's their form has been so up and down this season, even even in the same matches, that it's hard to predict. You know what kind of team you you will see. I I just think that United against Southampton, even when they were two 0 down, I thought played really well in that first half. Then they did really well to come back in the game and win in the second half with with Cavani. They also have flaws like PSG, so I think it, sh- it could be a very, very entertaining open game, uh, and and one really hard to predict. I really believe that. Okay. Also on Wednesday, Group E will be in action. Chelsea and Sevilla already qualified. They'll be facing each other pretty much for top spot in Group G. Barcelona and Juve are both through already. Barcelona will be in Ferenc Varos. Juve will be hosting Dinamo Kiev with Cristiano Ronaldo presumably back in the side after they picked up yet another draw without him. At the weekend, James. Yeah, this is talk about Juventus being Ronaldo dependent, um, which you know isn't what they signed him uh, to do. The, yeah, the, he was supposed to; they're supposed to be dependent on him in the Champions League, not in Serie A, which they were winning every year. And if uh, you can't rest him against Benevento, um, then you've got a problem. Um, although, yeah, this was the same last year when they went to play Lecce, uh, left him in Turin and they, they only drew. Um, the, the issue is that uh, they're obviously getting much better results more generally um, with uh, with Sarri on the bench than they are with, with Pirlo at the moment. Um, yeah, it ended in, in, in quite an agitated fashion, this game. Um, Alvaro Morata, who uh, put them in front, uh, ended up getting sent off uh, for dissent. Uh, he wanted a penalty uh, right at the end. You could really see how frustrated um, Juventus were. And he created a, a couple of chances, really, which um, which were deserving of a second goal. And uh, Pirlo calling out the players for a lack of character. Um, yeah, I think he was pointing to the fact that they missed the experience of Ronaldo, missed the experience of Chiellini and Bonucci, um, but they had more than enough to beat that Benevento side. And um, James, it comes on the back of, of that 2-1 win against Ferenc Varos um, last midweek in the Champions League. Uh, where they went behind at home and they needed a stoppage time winner from Morata to win it. So uh, concerning times uh, for, for, for Juventus, who 
you know, with Dybala, for example, unable to kind of um, put together any kind of form at this moment in time, it does feel like they they need to go into the transfer market in January and, and look for a, another kind of striker just so that the burden isn't always falling on Ronaldo or Morata. What kind of bar does Andrea Pirlo have to get above this season in terms of results? What's what's the kind of minimum? Or is he is he being given this season pretty much to kind of learn on the job? No, I mean I think this is one of the the, the things that made um, Saturday's result so alarming was that only the week before he had said. Uh, the transition is over. Um, we need to start performing and playing like Juventus. We need to start getting uh, regular wins. Um, and they have yet to win back-to-back games in Syria. And I think that is a concern. But, you know, as to what Juventus will be judging him on, it is a stated aim of the club that they want to become the first Italian team to win 10 straight league titles. Um, at this moment in time, that looks very difficult. Um would he stay in the job? Were he to relinquish uh, the the throne on which Juventus have sat um, since what was it 2011-12? I think it depends entirely on whether he shows that the the team is moving in the right direction um, in that time. Uh, whether all of a sudden they do start playing well, they do start scoring lots of goals, they do start winning in a convincing fashion. Um, you know, if they continue playing like this. Uh, from from now until the end of the season, uh, I think it's difficult to anticipate him uh, st- still being in the job. Right, and, and indeed, uh, title bids look a bit unlikely. More than anything, they're going to be in a battle for their Champions League place. They're currently fourth, but level on points with both Napoli and Roma, both of whom looking considerably more form than they do. All right, then. Well, uh, they at least in the Champions League are through to the last 16. And the one other group we haven't discussed from Wednesday night is Group F where Bruges still have an outside chance, but really it's Dortmund and Lazio who look likely to go through. Who's going to be top, though? Well, a game that'll go a long way to deciding that it comes on Wednesday as Dortmund hosts Lazio. Lazio currently a point behind the German side with Bruges uh, trading five points off top spot. Uh, what, what do you think, Rafa, about Dortmund's prospects of giving, uh, giving Lazio a bit of a spanking here? Oh, spanking, I'm not sure, but Dortmund will be OK unless they concede any corners. <laughs> that, that's been that's been the problem. Um, I mean, it was one, another one of those almost inexplicable performances against Cologne. Uh, unless you know you consider that this happens all too frequently. Um, Dortmund have a habit under father of of losing against relegation teams, where the application isn't right, the focus isn't there, where perhaps you know. They just go into the games a little bit of sleep, handbreaky, if you will. I think against Lazio it'll be different. I think we'll see a reaction to the Cologne defeat. We'll see Dortmund um, playing much more forcefully, and Erling Haaland missed a Mister Sitter right at the end of the game. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been a two-two, and I don't think that's going to happen too many times. He he very rarely misses those. When you say it was a sitter, he was about a foot off the goal line, right between the posts as the ball flashes in. Did he try to be too clever? Was he trying to kind of side-foot it in as opposed to actually just banging it and making sure it... No, he tried to take it with the outside of his boot, actually, but uh, he just didn't get a proper connection. I mean, it wasn't a sitter in as much that, you know, he had lots of time and just, you know, you need to just pick your spot and you blast it over. It did come very quickly. He had to kind of stretch for it, but still, 
you'd, you'd expect him to score, and he was as, as surprised as anyone else. But I think we'll we'll see a, a better Dortmund, and I think Lazio surprised them in the first meeting. I don't think that's going to happen again, um, and I think Dortmund will be will be out to make amends, and I I actually expect him to win and to bounce back. Three one to Lazio at the Olympico on match day one. Three one was the scoreline by which they lost at the Olympico this weekend to Udinese, which doesn't bode well. Hey, James, they're looking a bit tired, Lazio. I think all the teams are looking tired. I think that's the issue. I mean, aside from Inter, uh, none of the teams in the Champions League won in Serie A uh, this weekend. Um, And Simone Inzaghi is saying after the the Udinese defeat that they weren't humble enough, that um, they have to take a bit more responsibility. I think their head was on this game uh, coming up. Uh, it's their worst start in seven years in Serie A. Uh, worst start under under Simone Inzaghi. Of course, they have had some quite absurd problems to deal with um, internally, which have really disrupted um, the kind of teams that uh, Inzaghi has been able to select. Um, you know, at this moment in time, it looks like he'll have more or less the same team available that he had when they beat Dortmund on match day one. Uh, Milinkovic Savic is back from his uh, positive COVID test. He was left out on the bench um, for the entire 90 minutes against Udinese, I think very much with this game in mind. Um, And he can be a real problem, a real mismatch at the far post. So for me, I think Lazio have actually put in some really gutsy performances in this uh, this game with uh, Inzaghi more or less always getting the tone exactly right. Well, we'll see how it goes down at the Westfalon Stadion this Wednesday in the Gold Show. Or indeed, you can follow it on whatever medium you prefer. But uh, the Gold Show will be there Tuesday and Wednesday. And of course, on Tuesday, we'll be kicking things off with live coverage of uh, Real Madrid away in Kiev, taking on Shakhtar in that absolutely huge game. Uh, very good. Uh, plus, we'll be back here next week to round up all the latest European news and look forward to the final round of Champions League group stage matches. But for now, that pretty much wraps it up for this edition. Jules, Alvaro, Rafa, James, anything you want to add? Well, I have to say this. Real Sociedad still tops the table in La Liga, which Ooh. is something that has to be said because it doesn't happen very very often. So there you go. Hard for you as a, an athletic fan to of say course, that, Of course, yeah, Alvaro. you're in pain. It, it, it is, yeah. I'm, I'm being very professional here. <laughs> Flagging that, yes. Atletico a point behind with loads of games in hand. How long is it going to last, Alvaro? I think that uh, yesterday we could see signs of fatigue uh, with Real Sociedad and with Villarreal. They are playing in the Europa League. They've got shorter squads than the top teams. So maybe not too long. Maybe Real Sociedad won't be top in the table after December. But could they be realistic Champions League contenders? Yes, the the answer is a big yes. And I think that uh, in the same way that Juventus has to perhaps uh, reassess their targets for this season, maybe mm-hmm. Barcelona and Real Madrid, uh, considering how far they are from their best form, they have to think about qualifying for Champions League first and then think about silverware. Splendid stuff. Much more to come from you next week. Uh, have yourselves a splendid time in the meanwhile. Listen, thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you all again next time around. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. 
Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.